Welcome, everyone, to POV Crypto, the only podcast that both Bitcoiners and Ethereans listen to. I'm David Hoffman, here with my buddy Christian. Christian, how you doing? Doing amazing, man. It's been a hell of a week of podcasts, and I think this one may have been the best, which is incredible because the last three shows we've recorded have been absolutely fantastic. We got Ray Youssef, the CEO and founder of Paxful, one of the biggest P2P Bitcoin exchanges on the podcast. And man, the guy is just uplifting and so positive and so mission driven. Uh, it's it's really uh, special. And I think you guys are going to enjoy this podcast. Yeah, Ray, Ray just has a huge heart. Uh, his energy just exudes out of him. You can clearly tell that he he's in Bitcoin for the right reasons, building Paxful for the right reasons, and uh, really just is full of optimism and, and energy. So it's really, really good to see. But before you guys hear about uh, how just warm Ray is, we want to tell you about our sponsors. First off is our longtime sponsor, eToro. Similar to Paxful, they have been trying to bring financial inclusion and financial opportunity to people around the world that have not had access to it. Uh, they're not P2P by any means, but uh, as a financial organization, they got their start by bringing U.S. equities to folks in Europe and Israel and out in Asia outside of the United States and giving them access to uh, the best U.S. equities possible. Uh, they were one of the very first financial institutions to integrate Bitcoin and see the opportunity in Bitcoin. And then finally, in 2019, they brought their crypto trading platform and they brought their crypto trading platform to the United States. Uh, what they bring that is different than the other guys is the best trading tools and options out there. Uh, you can go onto eToro and you can stack sats and pull your Bitcoin off. Or if you want exposure to a uh, active trading strategy, but you don't actually want to trade yourself, you can copy a professional trader. Um, you can do whatever you want. eToro is all about options and it's all about making it, making it easier to invest in crypto like a pro without being a pro, or if you're a pro, making it easy to do it there too. It's really, you know, one of the best places to be involved in crypto. Uh, check out eToro using our link b.tc backslash eToro POV. Again, that is b.tc backslash eToro POV. eToro, a previous client of our next sponsor, Quantstamp. Quantstamp is the premier smart contract auditing firm in the crypto space. They have the probably the most robust history of clients in crypto, including really big gargantuan applications like, like MakerDAO, uh, and then also some, some of the newer ones like Pool Together, Ardai, Sablier. Uh, smart contract auditing and smart contract security is a brand new space that needs a, a firm like Quantstamp to really push maturity in these smart contracts. Uh, so uh, if, if you're as bullish as I am on DeFi and the growing money Lego system on Ethereum, you also need to be bullish on a company like Quantstamp. Uh, so for every, every time that there's a new DeFi application that is managing user, users' funds, it needs to be audited by a competent firm. So if you have an app or if you are building uh, some code that manages user funds on Ethereum or another smart contract platform, you need to get it audited. It is your responsibility. Go to expertaudits.com to check out Quantstamp and their suite of services. Also check out their huge resume of past clients. Um, th uh, thank you, Quantstamp, for sponsoring the podcast. And without further ado, let's just get right into it with Ray Youssef from Paxful. 
to all the live stream viewers and to all our listeners. I'm extremely excited to bring fellow Egyptian and, uh, you know, just Bitcoin entrepreneur uh, extraordinaire, Ray Youssef, to the podcast, the CEO and founder of Paxful, one of the largest P2P exchanges in the world. And, you know, one of the companies that's probably not talked about enough, but they are truly a Bitcoin company and truly a company that is trying to make the world a better place with a fantastic, um, you know, P2P focused Bitcoin product. Ray, welcome to the show. How's it going? It's going awesome. I've been looking forward to this day, gentlemen. Thank you so much for having me. Ray, so why don't we get started with you just telling a little bit about, you know, your story and, and how you founded Paxful. It's uh, your standard everyday immigrant story. My parents came from Egypt to America when I was two years old, landed in New York City, went through the entire, you know, the entire routine, right? And I grew up working in my parents' newsstand on the street in New York City in Hell's Kitchen, Columbus Circle in the 80s and 90s. And for those of you that remember New York during that time, it was a rough place. The crack epidemic was going on. The police had not tamed the city yet. And I learned a lot. And all those lessons that I learned growing up, I mean, they really, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing now without them. And I think the most important lesson it's given me is respect for people. For all people, especially respect for what's happening on the street, because that's where you meet real people living real lives. And it's because of that, that I respect humans, you know, that I understand that what we're doing here with Bitcoin is all about serving people, not about the technology. It's not about all the cool things that we as libertarians and technology folks that, that we love and respect about Bitcoin. It's about serving humanity. And my co-founder and I, you know, we met and we bonded over what Bitcoin could do, you know, the original mission, as I see it, I can't speak for Satoshi Nakamoto, but I feel the original mission was to help the little guy, to help that person on the street, especially in places where it can have the most impact, like Africa, Latin America, Southeast Asia. You know, everyone talks about going to Mars. Well, Elon Musk can have Mars. We've got six billion humans right here on this invisible planet. And those are the people that we're here to serve. And I'm really impressed with what you guys have been building up this awesome community. So let's go at it, my friend. I could talk about myself forever. But first, before we begin, gentlemen, I have to do something we have to clear up. You know, there have been some accusations on Twitter about me that have hurt me deeply, gentlemen, about my hairstyle, about this funky hairdo that I have. First of all, this thing just grows out of my head this way. I'm Egyptian, all right? It's genetic. Look, the hair fell out. You can see it's got this zigzag motion here. You know, it's like, this is just the way it is. All right. Now that that's cleared up, let's go. <laughs> Ray, that was an awesome intro. Can you kind of uh, keep going and elaborate on maybe your, your upbringing and how that made you uh, more predisposed to Bitcoin than, uh, you know, the average person might be? Sure, man. So I'll tell you guys about my first job. Uh, so my parents worked in Houston, right on Columbus Circle. It's a really like posh happening area right now with Time Warner building and Jay-Z's penthouse. When I was there, it was a little different. We had, uh, you know, all the people visiting Riker, Rikers Island prison pulling up and, you know, it was a really rough area. My first job was a paper route. I would literally make the Sunday Times myself, you know, and load it on this huge handle cart. It must have weighed like 500 pounds. I was an eight-year-old kid, but I was a big, fat, strong kid. And I would go around to all the hotels delivering papers, picking up the money. My father gave me a knife ring to defend myself from the crack addicts that were running around. But 
you know, all those experiences just taught me to respect just people and dealing with humans. And that's something that we in crypto, we have to, you know, get our arms more around. It's about humans, you know, it's about serving the people. We have to get down on their level. We have to keep our ears to the street and we have to just get comfortable working with humans, you know, like the people that come to Paxful. And this is how our business really got started. It was those invisible people. Like our first user base was the unbanked in America. And they were mostly women. These people had no technical skills at all. They, you know, I remember that first call I got. It was like three in the morning. I was in a, a WeWork in Soho. And we couldn't even, me and my co-founder were actually homeless at that point. So we convinced the guy working there to let us crash there the whole night. And I got a call from this frantic lady. She was screaming and yelling, I'm down to my last $13. I need this biggie coon, Bitacon. But she, she didn't even know how to pronounce it. She didn't know what it was. She was on barely a smartphone. And, you know, she was very angry, very frustrated. Turns out she didn't have a bank account. She was a lady from the South. She'd be trying to get Bitcoin because the website where she made her livelihood lost her Visa and MasterCard merchant account. And all they could do was accept Bitcoin. So they put Bitcoin on their site. We accept Bitcoin. None of their users knew how to get Bitcoin. They couldn't go to Coinbase, right? Because they didn't have a bank account. So these people have been getting the runaround for hours. And finally, they found my number on our website. And what did I do? I didn't hang up on them. It was the only one at $5 of Bitcoin. I had to spend two hours talking to them. I actually talked to them. I listened to them. And that's how we got our start because the only way we could actually get Bitcoin into these people's hands was through gift cards. This is the way they were used to working. And because we listened to them, we tailor-made, redid our entire product and website for, these, for the unbanked, for the non-technical people, for the normal humans. This was the first time that Bitcoin, like, actually had a mainstream audience coming and it was sad because everyone in bitcoin just ignored these people they just wanted to get them as far away from them as possible but we embraced them and because we did that the unbanked of africa and the world started coming to us as well because we understood them and it's just that simple because i was actually able to connect with this person and really like understand her that's why paxful is here we're four offices around the world over 250 people growing fast. We didn't take a dime from anyone. And I'm really proud of that. We all, we all work so hard over here. And because we didn't take a dime from anyone, we can do some epic things like building a hundred schools throughout Africa and the emerging world. Try to get that one past the VC. One of the things that I find is extremely impressive and, and kind of high signal about Paxful in general is unlike pretty much every other traditional Western facing exchange that peaked their volume in 2017, Paxful, your volume has pretty much been going straight up. So despite price declines uh, and volatility, like that doesn't matter for your users. Your users are clearly very different than the typical Coinbase user. Um, can you kind of talk a little bit about that and how your users are using Bitcoin and, and why is Paxful such an important part of their you know, banking them or giving them financial services? It's a great question. And it really gets to the heart of what we're doing. So if you look at Bitcoin and the crypto scene right now, anywhere from 95, 90 to 95, maybe 99% of the volume is all speculation. And that's what drives all these big exchanges, right? And speculation is always toxic. It destroys civilization. You know, all you need to do is look at what happened in Wall Street in the 90s and watch you know you know guys like gordon gecko and see that's how things operate it's sad to me that we really haven't moved beyond that but the truth is it's going to take us a bit of time to do that to build up the real utility and use cases but because we focus on real utility because we focus on real use cases 
the demand doesn't go with the price of Bitcoin and the media because there's people all over the world, these six billion humans of this invisible planet, they need help. And before I started Paxful, I had no idea the kind of help that people needed because every country has financial problems. You know, here in the West, you know, we value things like anonymity and ease of use, right? Cool. But in places like Africa, people can't even use the money that they have. And, you know, me as an American, whenever I thought about Africa, all I thought about was, you know, starving children and all oh, those people don't have any money at all. Well, all you have to do is go to Africa and you'll see otherwise. So, you know, Jack Dorsey did a great thing by tweeting about Africa and he saw what was going on there and he was super impressed and he couldn't help but just tell the world. And that's beautiful. So we've been in Africa for three years. When we went over there three years ago, we saw all this. We saw the problems that people have with money. I'll give you guys tons of examples. Those examples are how we learn. For example, if you're in Western Africa, Ghana, Nigeria, pretty much any country in Africa, you cannot send money out of the country. It's literally a nightmare. Imagine being a merchant in Africa and trying to buy stuff from China so you can sell and make your livelihood. Someone there will have to go through three or four hops get to pay that bill in Shenzhen, China to buy those video games, right? They'll have to take their money, turn it into USD on the black market, somehow get it to Hong Kong, to friends or family, and from there try to make the payment to China. You know, in certain countries in Africa, if you get a debit card from your bank account and you have plenty of money in the bank, you're limited to $100 a month on that card that you can spend online. Imagine if all the plastic in your wallet was limited to 100, like you couldn't even buy an Xbox. Right? These are the challenges that people have to live with. Another example. So the example I gave you was just about remittance or payments, rather, right? making payments. Now look at e-commerce. If you're a merchant in Africa and you want to sell your stuff online, you can't. Because you can't get a Visa and MasterCard merchant account unless you have an American or European bank account. What a lot of people will do is actually go to New York, start a corporation, open up a bank account, and hopefully get a merchant account. Most people cannot do that. But with Bitcoin and peer-to-peer -peer finance, you can. I'll give you more examples about how that works as well. But another great example is remittance, right? I went to uh, I have good friends in Berlin. Uh, one of my friends is from Kenya. She pays uh, up to 25% to send money from Berlin to Nairobi to her sister. And she has to wait a while. It's a huge hassle. I told her, hey, you can use Bitcoin and Paxful and you can actually turn it into M-Pesa and it'll get to your sister right away. And by the way, you're not paying any fee at all because of the exchange rate, because Bitcoin is so scarce in Africa. People in Africa want Bitcoin. They're willing to pay you a premium. So not only are you not paying a fee, your sister, her sister actually got a bonus. I sent to her sister a thousand euros, um, uh, no, 100 euros worth of Bitcoin. And she got it immediately as Kenyan shillings on her M-Pesa within seconds with a bonus of like 1% from a guy in Mombasa, another city in Kenya. That's the example of Bitcoin and what it can do. But it's not just Bitcoin here that is operative. It's peer-to-peer -peer finance. The blockchain by itself is not enough. Bitcoin is awesome. It's peer-to-peer -peer electronic cash. It is a miracle, right? It truly is. It started all this. It brought us all together. But there's another miracle. And that miracle is the network of peers, the human layer that has grown up around the blockchain. You'll find those people on Paxful. They'll go up there and they say, yeah, give me some Bitcoin and I'll send M-Pesa or Alipay or PayPal or make a bank transfer to whoever you want. I use it all the time, too, to send money to my wife in Europe or to pay bills here because I don't have a bank account. Because of this second miracle, this human layer, 
we have all the components necessary to have peer-to-peer -peer finance happen, to have humans help other humans solve their financial problems. Now, there's a third miracle that has just happened in the past 10 years, and that's the miracle of this uh, sharing economy that was really pushed by Uber, Lyft, Airbnb. So if you can share your car, if you can share your bedroom with a total stranger in safety, why can't you pay a bill for someone or collect money for someone? And then Bitcoin just becomes the clearing layer to make those transactions happen. And that is the killer app of Bitcoin. It's peer-to-peer -peer finance. Those three things, Bitcoin blockchain, miracle number one. Miracle number two, this human layer that's going around Bitcoin and now this whole concept of the sharing economy have all come together to give us this miracle of peer-to-peer -peer finance. And what it allows is it allows every human being on the planet to have access, not just to banks, but to every single financial network on the planet. We support 355 payment methods. If you think about that, it's like someone in Africa, as long as they can get some Bitcoin, and they can, because Axel supports 355 payment methods in and out, once they get the Bitcoin, they can literally make a payment anywhere in the world as anything. They can put in a gift card and get another gift card of a different type, or a PayPal deposit, or a bank deposit, or cash in Cambodia. Any form of money can become any other form of money. What that gives humanity is a universal translator for money, which sounds really cool, but for people in emerging markets, it's absolutely life-changing because they would have no way to access those financial networks before. One of my heroes, Eric Weinstein, refers to the concept of the portal as a, uh, the portal is a thing or mechanism or just a place for people to pass through in order for them to kind of awaken and see things anew on the other side. And I kind of see Bitcoin as, as a big portal for a, a whole number of different things, but specifically from what you just talked about, uh, being able to send 100 euros instantaneously and then uh, the receiver receive 101 euros worth of M-Pesa on the other side really like starts to illustrate how crazily inefficient the current money system is in the world and what really happens when you are able to make a new substrate uh, in the middle. And so when you say Paxful has how many over 350 different like payment, payment mechanisms to get onto Bitcoin. It's really Bitcoin as acting as like this center, like spider octopus tentacle thing that, that is uh, reaching down and, and, you know, planting its, its reach into every single one of these different financial systems and then all onboarding them into one single system, which really uh, relates to what you were talking about, the, the social system, the social layer. Like the Bitcoin is a, a place for all people to end up and be on the same system because it's better when we're all on the same system. We don't need 350 financial systems. We might not even need three or two financial systems. We really just need one. Uh, and and uh, I see Paxful as like a, a, a way to really speed up that process of getting everyone into the same spot. Absolutely. That's a brilliant analogy. And that's exactly what it is. I mean, Bitcoin has given us so much. I mean, first of all, I never even questioned what money was or where it came from before Bitcoin. It introduced the word fiat into my equation. I mean, you think about how amazing that is. It really That's is the portal. changing. That's the portal. It truly is. That's one portal. That, but it's, it's for us, it's, and I credit the African people for this. They have taught us what Bitcoin is truly good for. You know, we've kind of, in the beginning, everyone's like, yeah, I want to buy my coffee with Bitcoin. Actually, my first startup in Bitcoin was a retail POS for merchants. And I was, you know, in New York trying to convince bars and guys selling hot dogs to take Bitcoin. It would be so cool, but no one wanted to do it because no one had Bitcoin for that. 
Bitcoin's killer app is not being able to pay for a cup of coffee. Bitcoin's killer app is, as you said, you know, this octopus or, or mycelium layer or really a clearing layer that makes all the world's money, no matter what container it's stored in, whether it's in a bank, in an online wallet, in cash, in a retail economy token, like a gift card, whatever it might be, it takes it and makes it universally accessible to all. Bitcoin's killer app is as a clearing layer for all the world's money. I mean, think about it like this, guys. And this is how I think about it now. Imagine I told you, hey, download my Messenger app. I just made a Messenger app. It's really cool, man. It's awesome. If you talk to anyone, oh, but by the way, it only works nine to five from Monday to Friday. Would you use my Messenger app? No one would use no. that, right? No. no one would. So why should our financial network, which is even more vital, be limited to the same way? It makes no sense. It's absolutely crazy. And now we're finally starting to see, wait a minute now, like we deserve so much better and so much better is possible. And it's here. Bitcoin has enabled peer-to-peer -peer finance. And the people of Africa, they really taught us this because, first of all, they have the need for this, right? And I just want to clear the air about Africa here. This took me a while to figure out as an American. Like Africa is, has tremendous wealth, not just in the ground, but also in people's bank. Like people have money there. They just can't use it. It's easier for someone in an emerging economy to get on a plane and transport their physical body somewhere else than there is for them to send money. You know, how crazy is that? Uh, a recent article that I read, and I'm sure that you've read it, is by Matt Alberg, who's uh, an analyst out of New York. But he claimed that he did a deep dive on Paxful. He he called different merchants up. He 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 worked really hard on kind of analyzing what is actually happening and how are people actually using Bitcoin. Did you get a chance to read that uh, that piece about your company? Or I know oh, that many a lot times. Of I love yeah. it. Absolutely, yeah. It was amazing. So, Matt really like he's exactly what this scene needs. He he was talking about that that paper in a interview he did with uh, Marty Bent on TFTC, and he he actually said that what people it seems what people really want is some sort of like dollarized token um, in order to you know take care of this stuff, and they're kind of just using Bitcoin as like the most liquid option uh, to to make that happen. I'm kind of curious what your thoughts are on that and. Ultimately, you know, why, why is Bitcoin so important and why not some other thing that's been invented like for this use case? He's absolutely right. He's absolutely right. And that's exactly what we're seeing. I mean, take a market like Venezuela. Like Venezuelan people don't want Bitcoin. They want stability. They want something that's stable and that they can access. They can't get U.S. dollar accounts in Venezuela. Their next best option is Bitcoin. Right? And same people people in Africa as well. They just want to be able to transact freely in the world economy, to make payments, to sell things, to collect payments, to run their business, to transact value. Bitcoin, in the, in the structure of peer-to-peer finance, allows them to do that. But you know, the real question here, I think what you're getting at is like comparing Bitcoin to something like Tether, this functionality, right? Tether, in this case, or something that is stable but still digital, is actually superior because it's not volatile. You know, and the volatility of Bitcoin is really its biggest drawback, and that takes us again back to speculation. It's good for us here to get some uh, foundations here on what the true use cases of Bitcoin are. This is something that you know takes us a while to figure out, but let's talk about the journey of Bitcoin, right? The story of what Bitcoin is and how it started. So 11 years ago, you know, it came out wonderful. 
And then it started getting traction in the gray markets, right? You could, I think the first transaction on the internet was $25 worth of weed, right? And probably it was the same thing with Bitcoin, right? And that's how all technology starts. It starts out in the gray areas. Fine. Now we've kind of moved away from that. You know, Bitcoin is still being used in a lot of gray cases like gambling, sports betting, et cetera, pornography. Okay. But now we've moved on to the speculative use case, and that's where most of the volume is. And we're really in a danger zone right now. We truly are. People don't, I think, realize it right now, but the more the speculation continues, the more the volatility continues, the more people lose a lot of confidence in Bitcoin, especially in new markets. The other five use cases of Bitcoin are payments, e-commerce, remittance, and wealth preservation. And the magical seventh use case is social good. And we'll talk about that later. We're... Uh, just started building our third school in Africa, in Kenya, in Machakos County, and it's happening. We already have two schools in Kenya. We plan to build actually six schools this year as proof of the social good concept. But where we really have to focus as a scene is in those four core use cases, payments, remittance, wealth preservation, and e-commerce. And the only way we're going to do that is by, one, knowing what the problems people have are in each country, because every country is different. Look, look at Africa. M-Pesa, super successful in Kenya, right? They tried to launch in South Africa and they failed completely. In another African country, an African, you know, huge enterprise failed. Why? Because they didn't take the time to really learn about what people's problems were. But we in crypto are not going to make that mistake. We're going to figure this out. You know, we did a campus tour last year in Africa. We went to eight different universities. We gave away one Bitcoin at each school. Not one Bitcoin to everyone, one Bitcoin divided amongst the students. We spoke to them and we learned a tremendous amount. At the end of the day, we it's all about education, guys. If you go to Africa and you ask someone about Bitcoin, it pains me to say it, but uh, when I ask them, hey, how many people here have been, have no, have been taken in a multi-level marketing scam or know someone that has, half the room would raise their hand. How many people here have lost money in a Bitcoin mining scam? Half the room would raise their hand. How many people have lost money trying to day trade and invest in Bitcoin? Half the room would raise their hand. And despite that kind of negative press and experiences they've had with Bitcoin, because of speculation, right, they were still willing to learn and listen when I told them, hey, Bitcoin is actually good for something besides just investing in and playing with. You can use it as a means of exchange to access every single financial network on the planet. And if the arbitrage is right, you can start your own business because then you can make profit. Make profit by creating value, by helping people solve their money problems. And it's absolutely amazing what we've seen. There's peoples in Africa right now on Paxful that have built their own little versions of Western Union and PayPal on top of Paxful using Bitcoin. And it's absolutely transforming lives. All right, guys, let's take a quick break from the content and talk about our final sponsor, one of my favorite companies in the space, Unchained Capital. Unchained is a Bitcoin multi-sig company that is really leveraging multi-sig to its best potential. Their first product is their vault, which enables you to really easily use two of three multi-sig and get access to premier traditional banking services on top of your Bitcoin in a way that is only enabled by multi-sig. You have complete control of your funds on chain, but if you need them to countersign, 
they can do so. You can set up different rules and order for how they countersign for you. And let's say someone gets access to your ledger and they want to take all your funds. Unchained Capital will not allow that to happen before they get access to you and talk to you beforehand. So it is really fantastic kind of security and services that a lot of people in this space, like Peter Schiff, would come to expect from a financial institution. Also built on that multi-sig is their lending products. Friends do not let friends sell Bitcoin. So next time you want to leverage your gains and get some USD liquidity, rather than selling your Bitcoin, you can take a loan, use the Bitcoin as collateral. All of the Bitcoin is held on chain, never rehypothecated like some of the other guys. And you know that the funds are being held one with one key by you, one key by Unchained, and one key by a third-party arbiter. So you're always in control and fairness and safety and, and doing what's best for Bitcoin is always top of mind for Unchained Capital. Again, I'm a big fan and a user. I really recommend that you check out Unchained Capital on their website at unchained-capital.com or you can email them at hello at unchained-capital.com. Again, big fan, big supporter. These guys are fantastic. And on to the rest of the show. Ray, one of my favorite Bitcoin stories is of this uh, uh, Afghani blog owner, or maybe maybe the blog owner was from Britain or something. She had an Afghani um, a writer, a f- female writer, and her the the writer uh, was just uh, uh, constantly abused and beaten by her husband, and she she obviously wanted to leave because uh, you know no one wants that. Uh, and but she couldn't pay for um, she couldn't support herself because you know in in Afghanistan and in, in she doesn't have financial services because men hold the bank accounts uh, and mm. so she was actually able to save up enough Bitcoin because the owner of the blog who was paying her to write started to pay her in Bitcoin and over time she was able to save up enough money uh, to divorce her husband take her kids and and move on with her life which is a great story. Everyone who hears that story always can immediately empathize with why Bitcoin is cool and why permissionlessness is awesome. Are there any other stories like that that you have that you know of that from your experiences at Paxful that you can share with us? We have a whole series of these stories. We call it Bender Success Stories. And it's just amazing. Like you'll meet these young people. For example, uh, I was in, I went to Ghana, right? And uh, I got off the plane. I went to my first Bitcoin meetup there. And this guy, his name was Phil. He came right up to me, shook my hand and said, I've been dying to meet you. He's like, he told me his story. So it turns out, he said, you know, two years ago, I was unemployed. Now I have five employees. I'm like, what? Really? And he's like, yeah. He's slanging gift cards on Paxful. He started his own business like that. And he's now figuring out new trade routes as well. You know, I went to South Africa. I met a guy who actually built his own little version of Western Union on Paxful. So he found a problem, right? And this is how all entrepreneurship starts. You find a problem. In that lady's case, her problem was she... She couldn't be free, right? She was in a situation that she was not allowed to grow and be respected in. And Bitcoin helped her out of that. It's a beautiful story of entrepreneurship, right? There are actually people right now building whole businesses using Bitcoin to serve others. So this guy in South Africa, he found a problem. Nigerians working in Kenya, I'm sorry, in South Africa, they don't have a bank account over there. They don't want one, but they want to send money back home to mama, right? So he told them, hey guys, no problem. Take that South African rand deposited my South African bank account. He was a young guy, but he had a South African bank account. And he told him, I will send the money to your mama in Lagos in Nigeria. And you guys are only going to pay me 5%. And I promise you'll get it the same day. And they're like, really? Let's do it. 
all he did was he took that South African rand, turned it into Bitcoin, also on Paxful, and then took that Bitcoin, sold it to some guys in Nigeria, and had them send the money straight to their mother's bank account. And it happened the same day. He actually made profit both ways, from the 5% he took from them, and also from the arbitrage rate from South Africa to Nigeria. So he was doing great. They were super stoked that they actually send money the same day at a fee one-fourth of what Western Union would charge them, and their mother didn't have to wait online in some long-sorted place. And there's success stories all over like that. You can watch Paxful vendor stories. We're coming out with a whole series of these because literally, I mean, I can't believe how many, I mean, there's some multimillionaires in Africa now because of Paxful. Like there's one guy, he actually has 60 employees now. It's amazing. In Nigeria, the Nigerians especially are, I mean, I have to hand it to their business acumen. It's absolutely amazing. And, you know, one of the things I got a lot of heat for, you know, all the Nigerian scammer jokes, like, why is Paxful messing in Nigeria? Well, the Nigerian people are amazing. And I believe Nigeria is the key to unlocking the wealth and potential of Africa. Why? Because they have amazing business acumen. It's the biggest economy in Africa. And Africa and South and Nigeria and South Africa combined are like a trillion dollar economy. So we had to go through a lot. Nigeria was a very, very challenging market. PayPal wanted nothing to do with it. Coinbase wanted nothing to do with it. But we knew it was the future, no matter how hard it is. And we've got a lot of heat there. But it's absolutely worth it because Nigerian people are absolutely amazing. They have taken peer-to-peer -peer finance and they have taught us so much about it and what Bitcoin is truly good for, all thanks to the African people for that, especially the peoples of Western Africa. Hats off to you guys. Ray, I'm kind of curious again, like I think that this is, uh, I'm, I'm repeating the second question, but a lot of critics of Bitcoin will criticize you know, it as being too volatile, being too slow, being too expensive. But I feel like a lot of those critics haven't fully been in the position to need to leverage Bitcoin or some other coin in a truly unbanked scenario where they're trying to move move money in an alternative system. Can you kind of talk about like what about Bitcoin makes it such a useful tool for Paxful for the people that you're serving? And then, uh, you know, are there any other coins that you would consider? I know right now Paxful is a, is really a gift card and uh, it's really a Bitcoin only uh, solution. I'm kind of just curious, like, is there other coins that are even viable for this use case? Okay. Nearly any coin can be used as a central clearing layer, but Paxful only supports Bitcoin. You can trade Bitcoins for other cryptocurrencies on Paxful, but everything goes through Bitcoin. And there's a reason for that. You know, if we had, you know, VCs that would say, hey, you guys have to put all these other tokens on your site, you know, and coins and whatever, just like Coinbase and Binance does, because, yeah, we would make more money. It's true. However, it would destroy the momentum. You know, we need a central clearing. The world needs one central clearing layer that has as much liquidity as humanly possible. And we have chosen Bitcoin to do that because we believe is the most viable choice. There may be other choices, of course, and we might have to add them in the future if we get enough demand, if it makes sense. And if it does not distract from the momentum of this central clearing layer. So we're using Bitcoin right now because it just makes the most sense. Imagine someone comes to you and they're like, hey, I just heard about this Biggie Con, Biggie Coon, whatever, and can it help me? You have to spend so much time educating them about what Bitcoin is and how it can be used in terms of peer-to-peer -peer finance and in relation to solving their very specific problems. Imagine having that conversation and being like, oh yeah, but there's 67,000 
other tokens too. And by the way, there's 27 different versions of Bitcoin. That's not a conversation we need to have. Do this to accomplish this mission. We must be ultra focused as a scene, as a community, as a company, all of us. And the truth is all those distractors about Bitcoin, they have a lot of points. And most of their points stem from the fact that we in crypto, us Bitcoin libertarian crypto folks, so many of us have not figured it out yet. We're still looking in the wrong place. We're still playing with speculation. We're still dreaming about buying coffee with Bitcoin. When the killer app of Bitcoin is as this clearing layer, it is peer-to-peer -peer finance. It is staring us right in the face. All we have to do is stop and pay attention to what these real human beings are using it for and you know, talk to these people too. Like Find out what their problems are. Connect with them as humans. That's how things work in business. You know, One of the best things I learned growing up in New York City, you know, on the street working in my parents' newsstand was that business is really simple. You know, if you can do a business process on a piece of paper, you can do it with anything else. And all technology is good for is scaling that up. These are very simple core lessons in entrepreneurship and business that a lot of people in crypto haven't figured out yet. But like I said, it's all about education. And I think first we have to start by educating our, ourselves in the scene. Ray, switching gears here a little bit, how does the topic of KYC and Paxful intersect or do they or do they not? Well, they absolutely do. And uh, we started our KYC initiative really early, like way before any other peer-to-peer -peer, you know, startup that's, you know, they all like to brag about no KYC and anonymity. But when we actually look at what's happening in Bitcoin, in peer-to-peer -peer finance, KYC is vitally important. Not because of regulators, of course, you know, we have to be compliant. We're in the age of compliance right now. You know, anyone that's thinking about a completely anonymous system here and sticking it to the man, all I got is one question for you. How many aircraft carriers you got? Zero? Okay. Don't try to outrun the long arm of Uncle Sam. This is not going to work. Let's be realistic here. We're here to help humans. We must consider KYC. Now, before we even talk about compliance, we must talk about the elephant in the room, and that is fraud. If you think about what we're attempting to do here, what we've done, we've given banking services, universal banking services, access to that to literally every single human being on the planet. They can get to a smartphone or a computer. They can access this network. That opens up the door to tremendous amounts of fraud. Because Bitcoin is immutable. It is irreversible. That's awesome. It's an awesome form of money. But literally every other form of fiat there is, is reversible with enough political will. But the two must work together, right, for us to get Bitcoin into the world, for us to make it useful. And that opens up the tremendous challenge of fraud. What can help? KYC. Yes, there's a reason why identity is the foundation of banking. Now, there's a problem. And this is the truth. KYC is completely broken. Completely. And anyone that's tried to do a fintech startup, please immediately. Like, whatever service you use, like Jumio on Fido, et cetera, there's so many of them. And Jumio is great. And they do a good job, you know, at people in the West, right? Americans, Europeans, but it can't do, you know, non-Latin alphabets like in China, in Russia, acrylic alphabets. And Africa is a whole other story. I mean, there's so many, like every country is different. Like Kenya, for example, Kenyans hate the word KYC, not because they don't want to KYC and be anonymous, but because they can't, because there's no proof of address in Kenya. It's not a thing over there. And you only figure that out when you actually talk to those people. In Nigeria, there's five forms of national ID and none of them have an expiration date. So when, when Nigerians hear KYC, they flip out, not because they're scammers. No, most Nigerians are very honest. And in fact, in Nigeria, you can't even get a 
SIM card for your phone unless you KYC with a fingerprint scan. So Africans are cool with KYC. They want a KYC. It's just it doesn't work. It's broken for them. So what we've done when we started our KYC initiative, I think it was like almost eight, nine months ago, is we stopped and looked at every single market that we were in. We went there. We looked at the IDs. We did a thorough, deep dive on all of that. And we have structured our KYC system to work for those people. And because of that, we're actually getting requests from other companies to, to white label our KYC and, and give it out to them. We're, we're not into that right now. We just want to serve our users. So KYC is absolutely essential, guys. Because if you look at these peer-to-peer -peer trades, vendors, like the other peer, will ask the guy for ID. Why? Because they don't want to lose their Bitcoin and have it charged back. And that's the truth. You can say, scream about anonymity and all this. But if people, the peers, are having to KYC each other, that means there's something broken. So we definitely need to get KYC right. We have to accept that and swallow that pill. KYC is not evil. If you deal with people, if you look at what's happening on the ground, on the street, we need something to stem off fraud. And that is always a challenge in starting to, you know, onboard all this fiat into onboard all this fiat into the Bitcoin world and get Bitcoin to the hands of people. And that's the truth from the streets. Ray, I'm kind of curious, what is your biggest fear in existential, in existential threat towards Bitcoin? Like what would make Bitcoin unusable for the people that use Paxful and need it as their alternative financial system? That's a great question. I mean, there's a lot of them. Which one is worse? I don't know. I mean, all the speculation itself is super toxic. I mean, all the scams, you know, if you go to Africa and you mention Bitcoin, people kind of freeze up. It's like all of them have been scammed in one way or another. Multi-level marketing scams, they always ask for Bitcoin. Why? Because it's a superior form of money. But try explaining that to someone who's, you know, their uncle lost his life savings. Was he invested? He gave some Bitcoin to someone, right? People, mining scams, same thing. It's always, it never makes sense, right? Trading, day trading Bitcoin. People, like 99% of people that try to day trade, they lose money. It's the truth. Right. So the speculation is really the biggest threat. It's, it's huge. It's all the scene seems to talk about, because that's where all the money is. And there's a reason why every religion and civilization is kind of banned or put like borders around speculation because at certain levels it becomes toxic, even at any level. Uh, second place might be uh, all this drama and, and infighting that we have in the Bitcoin space. I mean, we have so many brilliant people in this space. Imagine if we got them all together, even for a week, and they were all focused on solving the problems that real people had instead of, you know, flinging fire and mud at each other on Twitter. Imagine where we'd be. Like all the division with all these forks and all these tokens, it, it really is kind of disheartening to see this happen. I mean, those are the two main things. Anything else is really kind of... Uh, small compared to that so we have a lot of work to do gentlemen so i'm kind of curious here like what exactly do you consider to be speculation do you consider like hodling uh, by western people to be speculation absolutely not hodling is great holding on to bitcoin okay cool if people want to hodl that's great i would prefer if they took that bitcoin and actually used it maybe to circulate it around make more bitcoin by helping people in emerging markets access financial services you know that's very possible for example, um, uh, it was a situation in Nigeria where the central bank uh, started forbidding people to send money outside of the country. And that's because at the time the price of oil was dropping, you know, America was playing games with China and Russia and the Nigerians suffered because of that, because, you know, they export a lot of oil. 
So they were running out of foreign currency. So the government said, hey, man, we're running out of euros and dollars. Don't send the euros and dollars out anymore. So what happened was all the entrepreneurs in the country that were you know, buying cars in America and Europe and sending them to Nigeria and selling them for you know, 30 or 300% sometimes, they couldn't do their business stopped completely. And I was actually talking to these people on Paxful.com. They were coming. They were asking. You know, a lot of the times people come to Bitcoin and they don't know what to use it for. They just heard about it. Can this help me? My business stops. I can't feed my family. What can I do? I was like, wow, okay, here's what you can do, brother. You need to buy a $10,000 used land over in Detroit and send it over home and can't you know, send money out of your country anymore. No problem. Buy some Bitcoin from this guy. And I promise you, once you have that Bitcoin, you can sell it to someone in the United States and they will very gladly pay that bill, that invoice at that auction house for you and that car will be yours. And they'll even you know, pay the invoice at the shipping company and they can send it over. And it started working, they started doing it. It was absolutely amazing. We made a huge connection between China and Western Africa, especially. And I think over $50 million a week goes through on that corridor alone. And more such corridors are emerging every single day. I guess the next question is kind of on the infighting and stuff like that. It feels like a lot of infighting kind of occurs because it's extremely difficult, at least from a technical and consensus layer, to change BTC and to you know make it what you want it to be. Um, Bitcoin can be very inflexible if you're coming at it from the wrong direction. Like, is that something that is inherent and unavoidable? Or do you think this is more of like a community issue? I mean, there's a lot of things we can talk about there, you know, like Lightning Network and, and all these initiatives that are happening. I think it's very healthy that we're experimenting with all these new initiatives. I think that's awesome. And I think, you know, it's, it's capitalism at its finest. It's a free market. It's happening in crypto. Great. As long as we don't lose focus on this central clearing layer and making sure that it has as much momentum and liquidity as possible, we'll be okay. You know, the hodling is great, but you know, things like what happened in 2017 with this ICO thing, that was so destructive to us. So many people lost so much money. It brought in a bunch of charlatans into this space and most of them are kind of vacated right now, but we're living with all of that. You know, we have to own up here like, all this damage that's been done every time I go and I speak in front of real people in Africa and Southeast Asia, I have to answer all these questions. I have to clear up all this baggage and all this air. And what it does is it costs us all time that we could be focusing on teaching people how to use this amazing magical internet money to solve real problems for themselves and enrich themselves and start a business. And that's all it comes down to. We just have to undo a lot of, you know, it's bad enough that the media is also coming at us. But internally, we just have all these, you know, money-hungry people playing games with fake money. That's not what Bitcoin was started for. It's not it was not started to be another asset class for rich kids to play with. And that's what we have now. We have a lot of rich kids playing games, introducing projects, just trying to milk things, playing PR games on Twitter. I don't want to sound like a broken record. Uh, let's keep things positive. We're in the most amazing space in the world. You know, we're in the money business and we're focused on helping real people. And the biggest problem that people have is money. You know, we're really blessed to be here, guys. And it's just starting. The era of peer-to-peer -peer finance is beginning now. And finally, people are taking notice, especially about Africa, which to me is the most awesome thing in the world. I think 2020 is going to be a blockbuster year for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general. I think it's a year the world's going to start taking notice. And even the most ardent critics like Jamie Dimon and Peter Schiff, they're going to be like, wait a minute. 
difficult. These little folks have actually figured out how to actually make this thing useful and built a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer system to actually get around us, right? But we're not trying to get around them. We are building an umbrella around all these financial networks, them included. Yes, guys, we're not going to magically get rid of the banks. You can forget about that. They're going to be here for a long time, and that's fine. They can be included in this network. They can't stop peer-to-peer -peer finance. They banned, they banned exchanges in India from having bank accounts. They forbid the bank accounts from dealing with them. And what happened? It all went peer-to-peer. -peer. One of our most active communities is India. So no matter what happens, peer-to-peer -peer is going to keep going. Bitcoin started as peer-to-peer. -peer. It's all about peer-to-peer -peer finance. And that's the message we're driving home. It's not about Paxful about peer-to-peer -peer finance and how real humans are using it. So Ray, what can we expect from, you know, the next one to three years out of Paxos or Paxful? And can you also uh, kind of illustrate uh, maybe Paxful's uh, stance on, the, uh, on, on Ethereum and if there's any room for Ethereum on that platform? Well, I'll say personally, I, I love Ethereum. I think it's an awesome platform. I think it's a, it's a super awesome and novel experiment. Um, Homeboy needs to eat a sandwich, man. Someone hand that kid a sandwich. <laughs> but he's brilliant and he's trying hard. I'm not, you know, all this hate that Ethereum is getting, it's just not healthy. We should support these people, right? But, you know, there are a lot of people in, in Ethereum that are trying to actually build out on real use cases. But it's just that they're not going to these places that need help. Like a lot of uh, people in Africa that would deal with Ethereum, they're like, hey, guys, you should stop focusing on all these enterprises and come down here and focus where the real social impact is. And they didn't do it. You know, I, I was trying to tell Joe this a while ago, but he just wasn't in the mood to hear it at that time. But it's fine. I think eventually they're going to get there. I really hope they do. Because Ethereum can be very, very useful as well. They just have to, again, stop being so and so in love with the technology. You know, it's not about the technocrats, right? It's about the people. You know, they have to hit the streets and figure out what they can do there. And there are really some very novel projects I've seen on Ethereum, but they just don't get enough exposure at all. Too many people are hating on Vitalik and making fun of his pronunciation of sharding or what. I don't know what's going on. But we can do a lot better. And there's definitely room for Ethereum and platforms like that. Where do you see Ethereum and Bitcoin, you know, coexisting together? And how do you see that? It's a good question, guys. I wish I was smart enough to answer it. Uh, I, don't have, I don't have any real opinion there. It all depends on the entrepreneurs. You know, like if there are people in Ethereum and in Bitcoin that are going to actually like take this technology and try to actually make it work for real people, there will be intersections. I mean, I think one of the best examples is Dash. Those guys have done a lot of really good work in Latin America, you know, getting Dash out there, trying to circulate among the people and experimenting a lot. And they're not afraid to hit the street. That's great. I think Ethereum could definitely learn from that. And definitely everyone else in Bitcoin can learn from that. It can't just be us at Paxful that are interacting with real human beings and trying to figure out real problems here. We need the whole scene to do it. Once that starts happening more and more, we're going to start seeing these natural paths and avenues emerge. And there's so many of them. Literally, there's an infinite amount of possibilities. We have 355 payment limits. We have every country in the world connected to every other country in the world. Think about that, like 123 countries times 123 countries times 355 payment methods, times 355 payment that methods. That's how many potential corridors there are for us to open up. And each of the use cases as well. So we then times four. It, it, it's almost as big as, you know, a number of possibilities as, well, not quite as big as a Bitcoin hash, but it's plenty of 
a lot of opportunity for us to dive into. Ray, I want to finish up with a classic question by Tim Ferriss. He likes to ask his guests, if you could have a billboard, what would it say? Uh, and assume that everyone in the world can see this billboard. You know, what would you tell the people if you could give them one message? It's a great question. And the truth is, guys, I'm still trying to figure this out right now. We at Paxful are trying to, I mean, we have so much, so many great people in our community and our story is amazing. We just don't tell our story enough. You know, we, we don't make a big enough deal out of all the things that we're doing, but we're going to get better at it. So if I had to narrow down our message into two words, it would really be opportunity and borderless, right? Think about it like that. Like you now have the opportunity to have wealth, right? What we're really doing is we're creating wealth for people in the world, for normal people. And there are not, they're not, there's no borders now. There's nothing blocking them. They don't have to ask for permission because they can literally access the entire world. Opportunity and borderless opportunity, right? I would say that in some fancy way, maybe Paxful, new money. I don't know. Maybe you guys could help me out with that. But essentially, it's those two things. No borders and opportunity. The opportunity to create wealth. That's our job, guys. We're here to create wealth for people of the world. Let's bring it all back around to the core, right? Like, what is money? What is it? You know, what is money? I asked myself that question a while ago and it took me five years to figure out, but it's simple. Money is work. It's the work of the people that is truly money. It's not paper or gold or even Bitcoin. Money is just a representation of work. That's all it is. Look at Africa. It has the largest population of young people in the world. It's going to have over 50% of the population growth of the entire world in the next 25 years. There is so much money there, but it's not in the ground. It's, it's in the heads and hands of people walking around. Imagine if we could unleash all that tremendous productivity and work in the world, and we can. We can. There's no borders anymore. Imagine the amount of wealth that's going to be created. And if anything should put a smile on your face, it's that. It's all these young people in the world not you know, having to ask for permission anymore, not being stopped by any borders or red tape. Now they can have wealth. Now they can create their own business. Now they can employ their friends and family around them and take care of their own communities. What could be more beautiful than that? We're in the best business in the world in the best time on the planet. Hallelujah. I really like that. I really like that because uh, I think Bitcoin and, and this crypto economic revolution is an, uh, is an opportunity to break down borders as well. And especially, I think that's really resonates with uh, your guys' emphasis on Africa because um, you know it's a it's a dirty dirty secret that uh, all of the African uh, boundaries and borders were decided by a bunch of Western European leaders in, in 1880 in Germany. They decided, they decided where the borders in Africa are going to be based off of their own personal interests, forgetting about the cultural and, and, and tribal um, uh, locations in Africa. And so uh, I see Bitcoin as a digital nation. And if, if Africa gets onboarded onto Bitcoin's digital nation sooner than, than uh, everyone else, then, then fine, they deserve it. Absolutely. I mean, I learned so much uh, from Africans in general and going to Africa. Like, for example, Nigeria is actually four countries in one created by the British, right? The French still have financial dominion over 14 economies in Africa. They're all forced to use the franc. The franc is about as, the African franc is about as African as the Federal Reserve is federal. I mean, it's a humongous scam that's happening here and hardly anyone knows about it. I'm going to share this with you guys here. I don't know if I should do this. I might get in some trouble, but 
one of my missions, and I don't think it's going to happen this year, it's probably going to take a little while, is to kick the French out of Africa. <laughs> I got nothing against French people. They're great. I love the pastries and all that. But what the French banks have done, you know, just basically enslaving the peoples of Africa through financial control is one of the greatest crimes in human history, and it's happening right now. But there's actually things happening there right now. These eight African economies are getting together and introducing this new form of money called eco. Whether it works or it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Because people there are now thinking and they're looking beyond the prison that they're in. And Bitcoin, believe me, is factoring into that equation. And I will be there myself in those countries, spreading this gospel and introducing all the amazing entrepreneurs of Africa to Bitcoin and peer-to-peer -peer finance. Because... The best thing about this is that those people don't have to wait for those fat old aristocrats and government officials and politicians to make a decision. They can do things themselves now. We've given the world a tool that can reach anywhere with an internet connection. And as long as we educate people on how to use it, they're free. They're going to be wealthy. That should make everyone smile. Amazing. Ray, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. This, I, I think, is without a doubt the most uplifting podcast we've done and uh, truly a unique perspective with someone who's on the ground. So thanks so much for giving us your time and, and getting on and sharing your story. Uh, where can people find you and you know who should be reaching out to you? Anyone should be reaching out to me, everyone and everyone. But especially if you're an entrepreneur, reach out to me. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I failed 11 times. And, you know, in like the heart of my youth, I failed 11 times in my life. And I went through, I was homeless in New York. I you know I, I'm, you know, no matter how much money I get, I ain't ever leave the projects. No, not. <laughs> I, I'm just a normal guy, guys. And I'm open to everyone. But if you're an entrepreneur and you're looking for a way to change your life, please seek me out. And if you want to join Paxful, please seek me out as well. We, this is really the most amazing company in the world. It's a super young company. We're learning a lot, but we know our heart is in the right place. Absolutely. We are good guys. We are not perfect, but we are trying so hard. You know, me and my co-founder, he's really a blessing sent by God. I met this guy in New York six years ago. We've been married ever since. Now we have this amazing team around us, and we're not going to stop until we take this all the way. So if you believe in humanity, if you believe in abundance, if you believe that you have hope for the future and you're willing to fight for it, seek me out. I'm one of the good guys. I'm going to help you as best I can, God willing. And where's the best place to seek you out? You can find me on Twitter, Ray Paxful. I'm on YouTube as well, but you know, those Twitter and my email are the best place to find. I'm also Ray Paxful on Telegram. I'm not going to get my phone number out right now, but please don't. <laughs> I'll give it to you. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, again, thank you so much, Ray. You guys can find the show on Twitter at POV CryptoPod. You can find me on Twitter at CK underscore Snarks. David? You can find me on Twitter and on Medium at Trustless State. Thanks, everyone, for staying and then listening. Thanks to all of the live streaming viewers as well. And then, Ray, of course, thank you for, for giving us your time. Thank you, guys. Peace. Cheers. God bless.
Will you just see?